Hello and welcome to another episode of Wannabe Entrepreneur. Today we have another interview and I'm here with uh, Olivia James. Hey Olivia, everything you did good? Hey! So much for taking the time to speak with uh, Wannabe Entrepreneurs. Super excited to talk with you. And uh, Olivia, she's a performance and confidence coach which is something that I think is really important. Finally, I have someone here to talk to you about this other aspect of entrepreneurship that I think is really important, which is mental health and how to prepare mentally and have the right mindset to bootstrap or build a company. And uh, when I was doing a little bit of research on, on you, Olivia, I was seeing that you helped a lot of people overcome different kinds of fears and phobias, like stage fright or... Uh, the the fear of uh, actually presentations even the fear of um, surgeries the fact that you're able to to do that for me is is completely fascinating you know the human brain is always something that uh, surprises me and confuses me at the same time so i'm excited to speak a little bit more about uh, entrepreneurship and about all this mental health aspect thank you so much for joining it's been an absolute pleasure thanks uh, thanks so much for inviting me to kick things off i would like to ask for you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, okay, so yes, my name is Olivia James. I'm a coach and therapist. And as you mentioned, I do a lot of work with confidence issues and mental health and performance issues. Lots of what I do is uh, related to public speaking anxiety, but I've also worked with founders on pitching anxiety, for example, because it's really terrifying to stand in front of um, some people and ask them to give uh, to trust you enough to give yeah. like uh, you know many many zeros <laughs> and then <laughs> and then we get straight into like who am I to be asking for this money and sometimes when I work with uh, founders on pitch and confidence it can get quite emotional because you know many people have got inner wounds about maybe not being good enough uh, or like uh feeling like this big responsibility so it can get quite emotional and lots of people who do who do like pitch and confidence will tell people how to stand and how to fret you know how to uh you know get the right pitch deck but they forget right. about that emotional side because we're all people and the other side can see if you are bracing yourself to get a no from the other side you they will pick that up so mm -hmm. You know, we are not, you know, you talk about mindset. And to me, mindset is a is a really good idea. But at the same time, as you mentioned, like we are ultimately, we are more than our co cognitive mind. We're our, you know, we are basically mammals. And most of our mindset is, is located in the newest part of our brain. Most mm -hmm. of us are, you know, we are, we've evolved to, avo to avoid danger. And for many people, those instincts are are still very prevalent. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. It's, I think there's a lot to talk about in that realm. I would like to to understand also a little bit what what is your background and how did you start, you know, in in this path. So 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 I've been working with people since about the mid '90s, and I used to do a lot of uh, body work. And then I realized that there was a lot of emotion mm -hmm. stored in the body. So I, I gradually added extra therapies and techniques to my tool, toolbox, diff different qualifications to, to really be able to approach right. mindset and performance issues from different angles. So uh, you referred to some of the, the trauma work that I do. So there are some really interesting new techniques now that, that, that I learned and, and literally you know, you would be amazed at the amount of air miles that that I got in because if I found a new therapy, I would literally just fly to America and train with the with the best person in it. So I I really wow. just went for it uh, in terms of training, which has given me this really well rounded uh, way of being able to handle uh, people's problems. Um, right. So I started then doing a lot of work with. Uh, public speaking anxiety, confidence, and I've helped people with all sorts of different anxieties. So I helped somebody with a very bad stammer give a keynote to 700 people. You know, I've helped quite confident speakers who have lost 
their confidence because sometimes something <laughs> bad happens and people lose their confidence. So um, right. UN ambassador Sasha Dench, I worked with, who's a conservationist, I helped her get her confidence back in a, to, to do a keynote to 700 people. Then I gradually started um, working with more founders and you know, for the last sort of couple of years, I've done guest lectures at business schools in London, uh, discussing my work with founders in more detail. Now, before we go any further, just to reassure everybody that I can't talk about specific clients because of confidentiality. What I can do is like, if they've given me a testimonial, a public testimonial, I can obviously refer to that. But even if I refer to a testimonial, I won't reveal anything very personal that happened in the session. Just to reassure people, that's basically... Yeah, yeah. Of course, it it makes total sense. You also mentioned in the beginning when you're doing more, as you called, body work. Yes. You said that there's emotions stuck in your body and you detect this. I've seen this in movies, but I don't really understand. What What, what have you seen? Tell me about what you've seen in movies. I mean, just this, just this concept, right? The concept that, uh, you know, you are massaging some people and they start crying. Exactly. Because, and it's like, I forgive you, Father, this kind of... Yes. A joke. <laughs> I never really understood it. Yes, Can you exactly. It to me? So when I, you know, back in the day, you remember we had like Descartes, the philosopher, who is very much like the, the this duality that the mind and the body are completely separate. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And the mind sort of has dominion over the body and the mind is in control. Now, contemporary neuroscience has has basically worked out that that isn't actually the case. We've got this, you've got this nerve called the vagus nerve, which connects your brain and the body. And so a lot of the, um, the feelings that we have about how safe we are, actually, this idea of gut feeling actually is based on, on an actual nerve where the fibers from your gut go straight into your brain, working out how safe you are. So when it comes to trauma, I'm a trauma therapist, so a lot of trauma is stored in the body. Uh, There's a book, famous book um, by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. And exactly what you described there, uh, years ago I was giving a treatment to a woman and she suddenly started crying. And it turned out that she'd had... um, like uh you know i i can't really go into the detail but 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 basically it was and it it had been in stored in her body for like 12 years it's so upset to me to understand that talk therapy alone say about really bad things happen to you right Mm -hmm. and you go to a therapist and you talk about it sometimes talking alone will not help you sort of uncouple the the, the 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 trigger because what tends to happen is when people have a trigger is that it it, it can come up really quickly without us knowing say mm-hmm. i've had a really bad experience at school once where somebody laughed at me say when i was really bad at school and um the teacher caught me with a note right before mobile phones, the teacher caught me with a note and said, right. right, you come in front of the whole class and tell everybody what was on the note. Now in my mind, being in front of the class is equated to punishment. Right. So in my brain, being in front of a crowd is now unsafe. So mm-hmm. anytime uh, I'm now at work and somebody says, hey, Olivia, can you, uh, can you give a talk at you know, can you give a talk at a conference? All of a sudden, my brain just goes into, and my body go into freak out mode. We go into that fight flight res- response. Right. Now, Without even noticing, right? You don't exactly. even notice that it's connected to something that happened exactly. years and this ago, is, right? This is partly what I do in my work. I sort of have to do the detective work and try and, like, uncouple those two, those two things. So very often, even a conscious awareness that, this is where my problem started, that my school, my right. school classroom embarrassment punishment. Even that conscious awareness will not remove the trigger. Of course. Because the trigger is helps, right? the trigger is encoded really deeper down in my nervous system. This is getting quite technical, but basically <laughs> the, the prefrontal cortex is your neocortex is the, the your logical part of the brain is the newest part. 
The rest mm -hmm. of it is is like you know our, our reptilian brain and our mammalian brain. They are they're running the show most of the time, especially when we're stressed or frightened or when we've had some sort of trauma or when we're depressed. Um, so this is why I have a problem with a lot of people who who think like mindset is. You know, in those in those cases, when somebody had, you know, mindset isn't the quickest way to get somebody to actually change their behavior. Ultimately, right. Right. in my right. clinical right. experience, right? No, it it makes a little sense, and it's it's funny because now that you mentioned this, and and I, I think about my own experience, I can definitely pinpoint. I think everyone can probably pinpoint certain things from the past that sometimes you even consciously realize, okay, maybe that's why I have this kind of phobia. But sometimes there's also phobias that, uh, um, I mean, maybe it, it's funny. I, I had a very big one. Uh, I had, uh, I was afraid of flying. Yeah. Terrible, terrible fear of flying. Uh, the, the classic, if you search for it, then I would be nervous a month before, you know, mm -hmm. I was dreaming about it. my, my nightmares were, just flying you know mm -hmm. not not even the, the plane crashing it was like just flying was was the nightmare uh I, I was able to overcome it just by actually flying um but it's it's funny because i never understood so it's kind of connected probably to when i was a kid and saw like 9 11 or something possibly but, yeah quite possibly yeah because my 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 mom told me that that's kind of more or less when it started wow but yes. you, you don't even connect. You no, like and you then you're Wow. So and then how do you overcome such a thing? It's so super in, hard. in that case, so what happened in your case, what it's well, what it sounds like is is a it's called vicarious trauma. Mm -hmm. So where it's like trauma by proxy. So you saw this terrible thing and your brain went flying, not a good idea. Right. That can happen <laughs> to me. <laughs> right. And in a way, it's it's um, it's quite an adaptive thing because as humans, of course, the way we've been able to yeah. survive as a species is to pretty much, you know, stay safe and avoid danger. Right. Now, some yeah. people are obviously wired for more risk, you know, so which is why some people become entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, that's that's really interesting because so like, yeah. so going back to fears, like we're born with two fears. Innate, every baby is born with two like standard factory setting fears. One is falling, and one is loud noises. Huh. The other fears are all learned. We all pick them up. Fear is death too. No, that that's learned. Yeah, interesting. Innate, innate fear. So they do tests with babies. So they're yeah, mm -hmm. basically. But of course, eventually, yeah. then we learn from our parents. You know, your mum will shout at you if you go too close to the road. You know, yeah. so we quickly learn. We pick up all these other things. That gives you also a huge pressure as a parent, right? Because something <laughs> that you don't know might scar your child but, for but life. But also, you've kind of like you know what they say: like at the end of the day, is your if your child is still alive, you've 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 done you've had a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but no, parents. I as you as you can imagine from my my clinical work with people and their anxieties mm -hmm. and their confidence issues, a lot of it is caused by parents. You know. Yeah. Yeah, um, of course. And of course, and childhood, right? Well, because. yeah, and and I, I think I read a really good thing the other day um, that that people might find helpful. It's like something like if you think of your parent as like a hurt child, um, it can sort of help put their behavior into perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. That's not to say, of course, that that you just you didn't deserve better. But right. some people's parents aren't really grown up properly, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the parents are humans too, right? Now and they yeah. and they can have their own traumas, and they exactly, can be very yeah. reactive, or angry, parents. or incredibly judgmental. Yeah, I do a lot of work, as you can imagine, with the inner critic, and a lot of it is that comes from parents. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's where we neat. we as grown ups end up sort of internalizing. The voice of the critical parent, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they, they 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 become what what's in psychology uh, it's known as introjects. So that okay. internal voice, yeah, <laughs> that can be with you. <laughs> Do you think it's crucial for people 
to recognize these uh, traumas from their uh, you know upbringing to become somehow more balanced as a human being to some extent yes i don't think it's it's helpful to go sort of rummaging around for no reason but if you suddenly find that you know you're you're self sabotaging for example which happens a lot in entrepreneurship believe it or not Say mm -hmm. you self-sabotage and then you realize, oh, actually, that's because deep down I never felt good enough, you know. Then right. I never felt deserving. I never felt worthy. We're dealing with some big psychological stuff there. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in those cases, it's very helpful to try and, and, and actually understand it and then treat it because understanding alone isn't going to help, as we said before, isn't going to help you. Um, necessarily change your behavior right overcoming it will right yeah so 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 i'm so one thing you need to be able to do is to sort of uncouple that behavior because what tends to happen is especially when we are very tired when we're very stressed um our willpower we we can be a lot more snappy and reactive so if you are very tired you're mm -hmm. not going to be the best you And right. you're not going to, you know, you can easily fall into behaviors and habits that, that, yeah, that you're trying to change. Yeah, that you don't recognize yourself in. Yeah. So it's it's one of the, 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 biggest, the biggest sort of things really right. is to learn right. how to self-regulate yourself, yeah. which is what, as a grown-up, you're able to do. And that's like one of the things that, 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 that my clients find very helpful that I do with them. So we work on like where they're, you know, where their anxiety comes from, where their performance issues come from. But also then I teach them techniques that they can use in the moment. So when they are right. on TV talking about their business, uh, they can like regulate their, themselves, calm themselves enough so they don't suddenly, somebody asks them a question about their business and they, their brain doesn't suddenly go blank mm -hmm. because that can happen easily um, when we're very stressed. Yeah, <laughs> and when definitely. the lights, there's lights and there's pressure, and perhaps we yeah, haven't slept very it. well, yeah. and um, so you so that can happen. And and I feel that overcoming such traumas and and problems, it's so empowering. You know, it it really feels it's super hard. Sometimes it feels super abstract, but when you do, just you know, your confidence in yourself, in, in your own brain, it's uh, I don't know, at least for, for me, especially when I overcame the, the fear of, of flying, yeah. Uh, it I, I felt like okay, if I can do this, you I know, know exactly, I can do everything, that's and, a, uh, yeah, exactly. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's, a, that's a, I'm so glad you you did, uh, yeah. and, it, and it worked for you. So, yes, exactly that. I was I was just working on a piece for a magazine uh, before I came on with you, and it was about um embracing your success and i think one of the problems is when we've had a lot of trauma is like no matter how how good we are we don't often pat ourselves on the back you know that expression yeah. like yeah. well done and especially um i don't know do you have do you watch that that show succession no okay. i've heard about it but i never it's watched. very good so basically there are there are four children and uh Basically, whatever they do, it's never good enough for their father. So, right. and for many of us, we've got the same thing where, you know, you see these people that are incredibly driven and they've got all the houses and the cars and the achievements and everything, but deep down they're not, it, it, it still isn't enough because they've got big inner wounds about not being, being, being good enough. So sometimes mm. sort of these external things can't help you. But sometimes having an achievement like you, you overcoming that fear is like, yes, you know, I did good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Take some time to recognize and to celebrate, right? Exactly. It's sort of really, acknowledge that. Yeah. And and I think uh, when you're, especially when you're making progress, it can be, it, it's really good to be able to, to, to say, okay, I'm not exactly where I want to be yet, but I've made progress. Yeah. It's important to, to exactly. look at that too. Uh, let's let's try to to go more into the entrepreneurship and and bootstrapper feel, even though it's everything is connected. Yeah. But I, I would like to do a little kind of uh, case study here with you, which yeah. is to 
to follow the different stages of uh, an entrepreneur or a bootstrapper, I, I, I tend to focus more in bootstrapping, which is basically building your own company or project with your own money, so without yeah. investors. But I think we can touch both points. So let's start from the, from the beginning. I myself, I decided seven months ago to to quit my job. I had some savings and to quit my job to focus one hundred percent in in my projects. So I, I kind of accepted that that I would have a substantially pay cut, and then I would, you know, try out. And I prepared myself for that. L let's start with that. How do you know that you are ready, or how can you prepare? <laughs> To, to, to take such a leap because I know a lot of people that would like probably to do that but they don't know how to, they don't do it out of fear or they don't know what they should prepare so what should be in your mind what should you ask yourself to know if you're ready for such a step yeah well it, it's obviously a lot of it's to do with your own personal risk tolerance and what you're prepared to give up Mm -hmm. uh, because as you know there are there are no guarantees in entrepreneurship. So yeah. there's that, there's like your own risk tolerance, your own um, like feeling of like, how long do I give this? Because psychologically, what we often do is we, where we have a lot of sunk cost, we keep going and going and going. And I think one of the problems that, that's out there now is there is a lot of this, this sort of hustle culture. And there are a lot of people... Um, There's a lot of survivor bias as well. So lots of people who who have, you know, bear in mind like so many so many startups fail, don't make it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's about that. And then also many of us have got family pressures because it's very, very isolating. Like you, your your family may think you've gone completely mad, you know. <laughs> They think you're totally delusional, and I think I, I often talk about um, somebody I I help with a with a startup accelerator. We have this little bit of a to and fro banter where I say, like a lot of its startups are a delusion, you know. And he's like, no, no, they're dreams, you know. And I'm like, they're delusions. And <laughs> to some extent, you have to have this sort of like uh, suspension of disbelief. You have to believe in yourself, but at the same time, you don't know if it's going to work. Right. So it's a, it's like as you said, it's like doing a lot of work for with no guarantee at the end of it, basically. Right. <laughs> How do you know if you're ready for that? Uh, I would say <sighs> it's really tough because many people like we'll leave the 95 because they're disillusioned. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're uh, entrepreneur material, you know? <laughs> It's like, yeah. are you running away from something or are you running towards something? I think that's the question to ask yourself. Right. It's, that's, a, that's a very good, very, very good one. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to, to answer, but it's a very good one. So yeah. are you running away from something yes. or is that your goal right like yeah, is it because exactly. try to identify why you want to become exactly. an entrepreneur is it because maybe you just don't like your job and you can just exactly job, right? and there is so much toxic hustle culture um for those people listening if you're not aware of um somebody called mike winnett who was a big youtube star who was Uh, looking at all these people who are entrepreneurs who are selling the entrepreneurial dream to people. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of that. You know, in the gold rush in California, mm -hmm. you know, everyone is like wanting to, 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 to find their own rich seam of gold, right? Right. And some of the people that got the richest were people selling the shovels <laughs> to prospectors. Yeah. We've And seen I this think a lot. in yeah, the entrepreneurial crazy. world, there's a lot of people selling you the shovels and selling you the dream and saying that anybody who has a normal job is a loser and all this kind of stuff and it and it can get so there's a lot of this toxic hustle yeah. culture and you see that with crypto now as well a lot absolutely. absolutely most people make a lot of money with crypto by selling guides exactly. on how to be rich with crypto exactly so there is there is There is a lot of that in in 
you know, my lecturers at the at the universities that hopefully we'll mm -hmm. talk about later. We talk about this is the dark side. There is so much of this toxic culture. Now, most of my you know people, friends and colleagues, and people I work with who are founders, who are actual founders, it's unbelievably tough, you know, and. Definitely. They are real entrepreneurs. They're not, you know, they haven't fallen for this dream. Yeah. And, and they know how hard it is. And they know that, you know, they do have to make sacrifices. Right. And many of them, unfortunately, um, people do end up hurting, you know, themselves. Relationships go mm -hmm. by the wayside. Physical health sometimes goes. Um, so there is a... So many people who have exited, which is a whole different like stage again, where they've exited and they've they've got all this money, and then all of a sudden they realize their mental health is completely shot, <laughs> their physical health's shot, then they spend the rest of their money trying to regain their health, you know. <laughs> well, so yeah. some of it just isn't sustainable. Right. So I think those are very good tips. I think it's very important to really understand what's going, what life as an entrepreneur going to be. Yeah. And I, I try to speak also a lot about that uh, in the in this podcast. I try to do that by just narrating my life as well. But I was not ready until I actually have taken the leap. And I think what you also mentioned is it's really important to know why you're doing, yeah. why you're following this dream. Exactly. Is it, are you running away for something or actually you just want to become an entrepreneur? So I think it's it's really great tips. You you have to check in with, with yourself, uh, maybe have some boundaries as well, know what to expect. But let's say that, okay, you, you take the leap. You decide that that's, entrepreneurship is for you and uh, you want to follow that dream. You, you take the leap and... The first thing that happened to me, and uh, I can only speak about myself, sometimes I, I I know that, of course, it can be different for everyone. The moment I I stopped getting my my salary, right, was the moment that I realized that, okay, this is for real, right? And immediately everything changed. The pressure that I put in myself is so much, you know, different. Because now I know that I have to perform now I have to perform as fast as possible. Yeah. Or as opposite that when I was doing that as a side gig, I always had my salary. So if it failed, it failed. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why I spoke about mindset, right? So yes. I don't know if you, then maybe it's it's the wrong term here, but what should go through your mind? How should you prepare for such a pressure of having to perform? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. The, like you've always got to think about worst case scenario, okay. uh, which is like what what happens if this doesn't work out. You know, mm -hmm. how long am I going to give this? You know, there's that myth about these um, these invaders that I think they went to America and they were like, uh, this is back in like the you know middle you know like um, I think it's like in the 1500s there's a myth mm -hmm. that they invaded yeah. this new country and that they burnt their ships so there was no way back ah yeah i heard that i heard but that from the vikings actually <laughs> yeah well apparently in some cases that wasn't actually true mm -hmm. it sounds really good doesn't it it sounds really like yeah you just gotta there is no <laughs> plan b you know yeah. this is just gonna be this is how it's going to be. But again, for, for some people, depending on their risk tolerance and their own sort of sensibilities and their family pressures and their everything else, for some people, this idea that, that you might not have enough money, that you might lose your home, like that, that isn't actually good. It's counterproductive. Exactly. And for some people, they can't actually perform well in those circumstances. So you've mm -hmm. really got to think... Oh, you know what? What is my risk tolerance here? What is the realistic? How? Mm -hmm. So, so there's always this balance between being entrepreneurial, being ambitious, but also like keep your feet on the on the ground a little bit. You know, right. don't get so high, as I call it in my lectures. Like, don't get so high on your own supply. Don't get so high on the myth of yourself and your greatness that you lose sight of reality. Basically, right. right. Uh, 
so that's what that's what I would say. And for everybody, that's different. And of course, some people have got, you know, they could fall back on family if they needed to, or they, they've got, you know, they could sell a property or whatever it is they might be. But, you know, uh, mm-hmm. ideally don't lose everything it's it sounds yeah. really sexy it sounds really sexy and seductive and like yeah i believed in myself so much i put you know everything on the yeah, line but yeah, for yeah, some yeah. people's like constitution their psychological makeup it doesn't yeah. actually work and yeah that's something that really scares me too right yeah. because you only hear the success of course stories, you do. it's right? a survivor bias it's yeah, a survivor the success bias they they pop up in your radar and you know oh they sold everything right and now they are millionaires exactly <laughs> but there's probably so many unsuccessful stories exactly that we and just then don't hear about exactly right? and there's a lot of shame around this don't forget yeah um so uh so, yeah. that's a great point yeah <laughs> I, I i hear about that or i think about that quite often as well the shame the shame of having to get a job again or or failing right and and going back to my to my family that i kind of convinced them to trust yeah to trust me and my friends and my partner and everything and say okay please trust me i know what i'm doing yeah and then i think okay <laughs> in, in five months or a year or two years i'm i'm back at stage stage zero finding a job with just have lost money yeah exactly you know, it's really hard so i would say definitely like it sounds really not very sexy and it sounds not very entrepreneurial, but like, you know, set yourself a date in your calendar where you're going to review mm-hmm. and say, okay, how, how, how am I actually doing? You know, because we, right. there's a brilliant podcast, which I'll send you the link to, uh, yeah, by Tim for Harford. And it's all about this thing called plan continuation bias, where mm-hmm. many people have got this, got to keep going got to keep going and of course in entrepreneurship you have to do that but if it just isn't working you have to it's better to stop (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of like what happens is a lot of pride gets in the way you know yeah yeah and um so there is always that balance between optimism and realism (laughs) yeah makes total sense and uh it's it's a great tip have a, a checking point, the point where you check if you're you are basically achieving what yeah. you wanted to achieve, and uh, and it, it's also good because until you reach that point, you can fully focus on uh, doing your work yeah. without wondering, you know, or worrying that uh, you you are not making money or whatever. Exactly. So I think that's that's a great great tip. And um, another thing that that also started to happen and, and to me, and I think it's also really important to speak about, and it goes a little bit towards the the burnout situation, is that uh, I kind of I, I also have a, a point where I decided to okay, if I cross this point, I will go back to find a job. By the way, I think it's it's really crucial. Mm-hmm. And um, I started to to think that um, I, I had to push as much as I could, and I noticed that the work became the priority and slowly I would not prioritize hanging out with my friends or even exercise. And everything was like, okay, I have to work now. Once I'm making a salary, I will, I will do the rest, right? I'll, I'll go back to my, you know, hit the play button in my life. Mm-hmm. But I start noticing what I think it's kind of the beginning of, of, of a burnout, yes. right? So you, it became really hard for me to do any other tasks besides work yeah. at first. So even like washing the dishes, what I was like, wow, what am I doing? I should be working. Yeah. I'm feeling guilty <laughs> and so on. And then at some point I couldn't even focus at work and I really had to like rest. I felt like my, my head was about to, to explode. Yeah. Is, this, is this something common? It sounds am very, I- very familiar. And I'm so glad you, you brought this up. Um, again, I, I talk a lot of, about this in, in, uh, in my lectures. Um, so yes, it's, it's that, it's really, really tough, but like what you found is you weren't right. You, you, there wasn't balance in your life, right? Mm-hmm. There was no balance, and eventually, you, you were thinking you were being efficient, like no, no time for washing up, just got to work. And eventually, you realized actually I'm not performing. I'm at, at the on the edge of burnout. So exactly. what tends to happen is when we are very, very tired and very, very stressed. Um, our brains can't function very well. Um, and I think the one of the, one of the problems that happens is, is that 
we just get so obsessed with our work. And again, there is another another toxic um, little saying that's going around at the moment that, like, if you're passionate enough, then you don't get burnout. Now, that just mm. isn't true. Like, overwork is overwork. Because you're passionate enough, you exactly. get burnout. That's what I feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so again, because, you, you know, entrepreneurial people can get quite obsessive, but it Definitely. can flip over into like not taking care of ourselves. Like you said, time with your friends is really important. Like exercise is really important. Get out, take a little break is really important. Um, and of course, you know, you want to, somebody needs to do the washing up. <laughs> like while you, you don't have a butler yet, somebody needs to do that washing up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that sounds incredibly familiar and I'm, you know, glad you caught it. The thing is when somebody gets very burnt out, if it's gone too far, like even rest, you know, you're still so deeply exhausted that even a lot of rest doesn't help. So it's a very serious issue that, that affects lots of entrepreneurs and you're definitely not alone. So the advice is to, to have, you know, create a schedule. Like mm-hmm. I do a block of work, then I make myself go out for a walk. You know, you need to prioritize those other things. Otherwise, and really do it, right? I really do I, it. I and always like, get it in my, the back of my mind, but I then I would always postpone it. Exactly. So you need to, um, like like we said before we started recording, like when you're working like in a traditional job, like five o'clock, everybody goes home right? right when you're working for yourself like nobody it's just you you're your own boss <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's true uh and then like if you don't give yourself a break no one else will no one else will give you a holiday um so it's really important that you do because you might think oh i'm being driven and it's i'm like uh, you know again it's this hustle the hustle culture and i'm just really driven and this is like you know, if you're not sleeping well, if your body starts to deteriorate because you're not getting any fresh air, you're not exercising, mm-hmm. you're not having that time with your friends to like decompress and to have a different view on the world. Right. You turn into a weirdo, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like a recluse and a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And one thing that really helped me was realizing that having breaks was actually better Yes. for, for my work. So... I, I kind of see now having a break as part of my work exactly, as a as a way to actually, you know, improve my performance and achieve something that I wouldn't if I was always working. Exactly. Because I, I really noticed this. By stopping, you have, once you go back to a problem after stopping for a while, you actually have a different approach. And your brain and can function better, basically. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and in, in the end, it's... Uh, you know, everything that is kind of burnout and psychology related is sometimes very abstract, but in the end, your brain mm. is 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 an organ, right? It's part of your body. Exactly. And it needs to be maintained as you maintain everything else, exactly. right? So let's let's speak a little bit about the VC world, because this is all about bootstrapping, or I guess it happens for burnout and everything can happen for for every kind of entrepreneur. But we were speaking off of the record before about the the VC world and how how much pressure there is into actually pitching. Mm-hmm. And um, do you have a, a lot of people coming to you with those problems, getting some uh, performance coaching tips to yes. to present? Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> sometimes I will play devil's advocate and I'll ask them really tough questions <laughs> <laughs> because. They need to be solid when you're pitching. You need to be solid because there is there's so much bias. There is so much bias in the VC world. So especially for like female and underrepresented founders. But the example I'm thinking of was like a like a you know a white guy I was I was helping, and I asked him a really hard question, and it totally blindsided him. Right. Uh, because you need to be ready for that. Because you know they, you know they they will ask you those tough questions, and if you're 
totally destabilized by a question, a reasonable but tough question, then you're not going to look good. Mm. And they're not going to be impressed with you. And so there is a lot of, um, uh, I'm going to say a bad word now. There's a lot of like cockiness when it comes to pitching mm -hmm. that's required. So it's like, you've got to have that confidence of, yes, my, my idea is brilliant. And like, my, you know, this, this, this ship is taking, you know, this, whatever, this rocket's taking off. You yeah. be on it or not. And people can get really sort of like full of themselves. Right. Um, but but that can sort of flip into into like arrogance, you know. <laughs> yeah, I... does that make sense? Uh, is so... it something that can actually happen, or because I always think that someone that is arrogant as as a, an entrepreneur or a founder, they were already arrogant before. Is it? Have you seen people actually becoming some, arrogant? Some people uh, think. They kind of model themselves a little bit on that. The, the, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording about the cult of the founder, right? And they, they, they sort of like uh, they can they can start modeling that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you do need self belief, but at the same time, you want to build relationships with people, you know, <laughs> right? And so it is all about like, don't be like rude to the assistant. You know, like, because people talk. <laughs> like, all that kind of stuff. Like, so it's a really delicate thing. And, of course, some VCs are totally going to be wrong for you. And they're, they're you know, they're going to be uh, incredibly arrogant and, and dismiss you. So it, uh, so you need to be incredibly tough. Right. But at the same time, stay human, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's like you need to sort of develop the shield But also you need to still I stay open a little bit. So if they ask you a difficult question that you sort of take that on board and like modify your pitch, you know, because people can get a little bit grandiose when they pitch. Right. As a defensive strategy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. what, what is the technique to endure a, a pitch that is going wrong and, and <laughs> flip it? It's really tough. It's incredibly tough, especially if you have, uh, like most of us, you know, have some <laughs> rejection issues from somewhere. Yeah. You know, it might be like uh, like a family thing, or it might be like a, a romantic re rejection that's still mm -hmm. stuck in you. So yeah. bear in mind that we are human beings, you know, and and we uh, we all have feelings. So it, yeah. it, it can be really really tough. So. I have I do this exercise with people where we do this like inoculating them against no exercise. What does that mean? What, what like inoculating like a like an like an like a vaccine against right. no. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to be able okay. to hear no and not mm -hmm. collapse or not get really snappy and go, well, you're an asshole too. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> How does that uh, look like that exercise? Uh, <laughs> uh well It's basically it's a it's practicing practicing hearing and saying no and playing with it because most right. of the time with with confidence coaching people just try and blow people up like a balloon right but you've got to be realistic you know you are going to hear no and you're going to have to say no so there's like exercises I do with when mm -hmm. I do workshops with people where we get them in pairs and we get them to play with it. Ah. Um, and it, it can be really fun, but also quite quite empowering and quite weird. But right. basically, you need to be okay with hearing no and not mm -hmm. go to pieces. Because right. if you react badly, you start crying maybe, or you, you got, like I said, you can get really snappy with them. Mm -hmm. People talk, you know. And, of course, if somebody is a total asshole, you need to tell them. But Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, okay, so it's it's kind of... I like it. So you have this kind of exercises where people train in, in a certain way how to pitch, how to get a no, yeah, yeah. so that when it actually happens in real life, they are prepared. But, they already they don't go went to, they, it, Basically, no? they don't go to pieces or react. Right, right, they don't right. become overreactive and, and like snappy or, mm -hmm. you know, or like I said, cry or whatever. Right. Because it... Obviously, it can really hurt your feelings because for many people, 
like especially like some of the people I work with, their startup is actually really, really good and it's really genuinely going to help people. Mm-hmm. And they they really need funding. And for those people to get rejected and rejected and rejected is really, really tough. Yeah. Because they know how much good they, genuine good they could do, mm-hmm. you know. And it so it's a really quite a vulnerable thing, actually, in many ways. It's about... You know, you kind of opening your heart in a way, and like you're you're saying, this is my gift to the world. You know, and somebody says no. Yeah, <laughs> it it can it can be really painful and very frustrating, yeah. and exhausting. Frankly, exhausting. Yeah, I I definitely. I mean, I, I've never pitched that. I never reached that phase, but I, I can imagine that it it's pitching your idea to a bunch of investors. And just getting rejected and rejected, at some point, you'll start doubting your own idea, right? I think that happens to a lot of entrepreneurs. In the beginning, everything is amazing. You have the idea. You know, the first hours of having the idea, you think, whoa, (laughs) you know, I'm going to change the world. This is amazing. And then as it goes, the idea matures. And then at some point, especially when you start, you build your first MVP, you show it to the world. And at some point you think, is it really a good idea? You start doubting yourself, yeah. right? And I think the imposter syndrome starts yes. kicking in, which is a big, big word. It a is. Word Let, for, I'd love uh, to talk about that, actually. Yeah. And uh, it's something that uh, I, I also write about it in, in Indie Hackers and so on, because I think it's, it's really important. And I guess everyone... or. Is it true that everyone feels like an imposter? Yeah, it's a, I've, I've just actually been in a couple of articles about imposter syndrome, um, one for, for two UK publications. Um, so it's a subject close to my heart. So there are the, the only people who, who don't feel imposter syndrome are the ones who should. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of the current prime minister of the UK, <laughs> who basically people sort of imposter syndrome basically people don't have a rea- realas- realistic view of their abilities right? right so when you have imposter syndrome you suddenly forget your qualifications and your experience mm-hmm. so what happens in imposter syndrome is what, what what's called a cognitive distortion right so Suddenly, like the the piece I just did uh, recently was about the singer Adele. Um, it mm-hmm. was for for Yahoo. If anybody wants to look it up, so what happens is even somebody as talented as Adele, right? Incredible singer. People like actress Meryl Streep. All these people say I've got imposter syndrome, meaning I have thoughts that say that. It's only a matter of time before I'm found out. I'm not as good as everybody thinks, you know. It's all going to get taken away. Of course, in those cases, that is a cognitive distortion. These people are talented and they have experience. But what tends to happen is that when we get very stressed, our brains can't be as rational. So again, that prefrontal cortex doesn't get enough blood. So when you get super stressed or very tired, your brain goes into like fight flight mode and it goes into like, I might be being attacked. So the blood goes to your heart and your lungs, your arms and your legs. So you can run away. So your rational brain doesn't get enough blood. And in those cases, your brain can spin out of control and start to do catastrophizing. And again, bear in mind that imposter syndrome is a protective thing. Your brain is saying, don't get too big for your boots, Tiago. You know, Mm. just don't get too ahead of yourself. You know, it's trying to protect you. You know, that's what ultimately what imposter syndrome, one of the things it tries to do. Protecting from from what? From rejection, from getting too big for your boots, from um, going to pitch and making a fool of yourself. (laughs) But it's funny because as a... If you think as a as a biological in a biological way, is that what is the actual problem of of that of getting basically the, it's a protective thing. So um, to be excluded from the society exactly somehow, from right? the tribe. There's a lot of from uh, the tribe. There's theories about evolutionary, like uh, from evolutionary biology that so we humans have evolved to live in tribes. So as part mm-hmm. of a tribe, there was like one like leader and the rest of us were followers 
Right. And so the idea that if you did something to offend the tribe, they they would cast you out, right? Mm -hmm. And then you would likely die. Right. So the idea of of like don't speak out of turn, don't get too big for your boots, you know. Um, yeah, it's survival instinct. Exactly. So that you you still belong. Exactly. You, is that is that still important nowadays? Uh, or yeah, well, it is because we we even on Twitter, you know what I mean. Even in communities, even in business groups, there is a leader, and then there are rules, and we learn. Mm-hmm. We, we basically, as humans, we are very, very good at reading the room and we see what behavior is tolerated. So in mm-hmm. a, in a, in a organization, for example, you know, you hear a lot about these sort of toxic, toxic organizations Yes. where we, we observe what's tolerated, what behavior is tolerated. And it kind of gives us permission or it gives us a signal of like what we can get away with or mm-hmm. what we can't get away with. Um, going back to imposter syndrome, so uh, Pauline Clance, who's the researcher who coined the term imposter syndrome, and she now wishes that she'd called it imposter experience because okay. everybody like has it experiences it sometimes. And if you can say to yourself, oh, I just had an imposter moment, mm-hmm. it's not as bad as saying, I have a syndrome, because if, <laughs> if, you, if you say you have a syndrome, it sort of pathologizes it. A lot. True. Again, true, true, true. yeah, but I don't, I don't think it like like that. Maybe because it's not my native language. No, I don't think it actually is a syndrome. I think it's yeah, it's correct. Like as an experience. Exactly. Uh, the the final thing I'd like to say about imposter syndrome is there is a lot of uh, um, there's a sort of like this narrative that women suffer more than men. Uh, now, in my clinical experience, I get just as many men as women coming to me with confidence issues and imposter syndrome. Yeah. And Pauline Clance and researcher Amy Cuddy both also say that whenever they speak about imposter syndrome, they get about 50% messages from men and 50% from women. So I think it's more socially acceptable for women to say that they have it publicly. Right. But even like, or like uh, I was on a call um Neil Gaiman, the author, like, uh, he has it. So lots of people have it. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, people who who shouldn't have it, like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, like they they should have it, but they don't because they overestimate their their abilities widely. Mm -hmm. They they don't have a rational view. So basically imposter syndrome is like the, the moment where you don't have a rational view of your your capabilities and your suitability for a role mm. or an experience or to run a business or whatever and can it, it de- can it, go it be good for you actually uh, to have a little bit of this there was actually a good uh, an article i did for uh, for metro and the title was can imposter syndrome ever be valid yeah now in a way it's quite good to be conscientious right to be um very, aware of your limitations, right? Yeah, conscientious and also like making doubly sure. Like it's better to be detail oriented and really for you to check your work than than to to be think, oh yeah, I'm so good, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. So conscientious is like sort of like responsible, detail oriented, you know. So mm-hmm. in a way, mm-hmm. it's I suppose it's better to to be. Uh, have a little bit of it than to be grandiose yeah. and overall optimistic about well yeah but uh, you get the example <laughs> of Boris Johnson and Trump and they they kind of achieved great things for themselves right maybe not for the others but, but they not reached, for, for the country <laughs> yeah not for the country for sure but as a person right there's in and sometimes I was uh, watching a documentary about Trump and somehow I was also amazed how you know because you you listen to him and you think like how come did he achieve this exactly like, it doesn't make sense <laughs> i know but but then you you part of me you know the very very small part of me is also a little bit impressed with the fact that he was able to reach this point he was able to convince half of america to vote for yeah, him yeah, yeah. even though he is so incompetent exactly. in most of the things exactly. right so exactly somehow it can be good I, to not to have this imposter syndrome so at all. Uh, so to be completely delusional 
Yeah. And it's like um there's a, the best um expert on narcissism is a guy called Professor Sam Vaknin, who talked about um there was one phrase that really stood out in my mind. It was like he's convinced that his in his inherent genius will suffice. So Boris Johnson mm-hmm. thinks he's very clever, and so he doesn't need to do anything else. He can just mm-hmm. waffle, make things up, and he can just like uh, improvise and not prepare for stuff, and and it, he just gets away with it. And traditionally, he has, although I think yeah things are crumbling. Um, but yeah, but so still, he, was, he reached that right. It's he still he, he reached there right. Even even if things are crumbling now, he still was able to reach. The prime minister. Well, yes, exactly. Um, so, um, so yeah, imposter syndrome is a is a, often misunderstood. Um, it can be treated. I mean, uh, that's part of uh, the things that I when I work with people on the on confidence issues that mm-hmm. we we work on. But often there is a trauma link there too. So if somebody's had a, a really shitty, pardon my French, toxic boss, for example, right. that tried to undermine them at work, or they've had a like a parent who hasn't been supportive or even abusive, mm-hmm. um, that can be an issue. Um, so when it comes to entrepreneurship, um, there's one thing that the in the article I mentioned to you about um, many entrepreneurs that I've worked with. Uh, I found a, a trait in common, which is that many of them have early trauma. Um, mm. You probably noticed that lots of very famous entrepreneurs and like business moguls were actually immigrants. They came right. from a different country, so they've they've managed to overcome a lot. And I think for uh, many entrepreneurs, there is this incredible uh, sense of self-efficacy of like, I have to do this, right? I am going to make this happen. And often they learn mm-hmm. this in early childhood. As many people that I've worked with have had early trauma in terms of either like abuse or neglect. Right. Uh, like where maybe a parent, you know, was having emotional problems, couldn't be there for them, sometimes physically not able to. So these people grow up to be incredibly like driven and like I have to take care of things I will do everything Uh, but the problem comes that when they start to have emotional problems a they are really 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 bad at recognizing that they have a problem Mm -hmm. and then b they really really hate asking for help because they're so like uh, self-efficacious and self-reliant and independent that it can be really really tough but that's definitely a trait that I've noticed a lot in, yeah. in founders. When when should they or should a person ask for help? Let's say to fix the... the, the, the <laughs> Ideally when it's that. not too late. <laughs> but how, how do you know like, exactly. if it's too late? Exactly. Uh, I think lots of people are really good at... Um, because they're so good at like um, battling through uh, and many of them are so disconnected like from their bodies as well um like you were saying mm-hmm. about when you started to get burnt out you recognized it right yeah but some people who are wired slightly differently because of their trauma history they don't even know it and then eventually sometimes are, are like they have a proper like nervous breakdown or right. they find that they just can't get out of bed you know they will push themselves so hard. So ideally, um, in our in my lectures uh, at my latest latest lecture at the Bayes Business School, together with Mike Southern and Chris West, who wrote a book, a famous entrepreneurship book called The BMI Entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, we 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 basically said that like as soon as your sleep really starts to go, if you know if your sleep patterns start to change from normal. Then mm-hmm. that's a good or that's a good indicator. If you suddenly find you burst into tears, if you right. suddenly find that that you start getting panic attacks, for example, when you don't normally get panic attacks, mm-hmm. you know your eyes start to like you really. You know when your eyes start to tremor because you're so tired and twitch, like those mm-hmm. kinds of things can start to happen. 
So check in with yourself as well. Listen to the others around you. Well, like, I they... mean, that's that, the, the, yeah, exactly. You mentioned others around you. So many people, ideally, you want to have someone around you who understands. Uh, now, yeah, for many and that's people, a very good topic that we didn't people, speak about. Part, but, yeah. part, like, ideally, you want to have a mentor who's done what you want to do. Ideally, yeah. you like if you have a partner who understands, like a romantic partner who understands, that's great. Um, mm -hmm. But often they don't. You know, often they don't get it. Yeah. You know, it can be really a lone, lonesome experience to be an entrepreneur. Exactly. I reckon, and exactly. sometimes I, I feel that. I mean, I, I'm lucky. So that's kind of why I, I also started my, my own community. We have like a community of entrepreneurs and we talk and we support each other because sometimes most of your friends, are they are not entrepreneurs. Your partner might also not be an entrepreneur. So you really feel alone. You feel that you cannot speak about it to anyone. No one really understands your struggle. At some point, they just are tired of it. Like, ah, stop speaking about your whatever problems in your startup. Uh, let's go and drink a beer. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. So yeah, it's it's a very good point. So I think it's really important also to surround yourself with with the likely minded people, exactly. and having a mentor is is crucial as well. Exactly, yeah. uh, definitely. I mean, Twitter is a very good place, which is how you and I connected. It's yeah. very good for entrepreneurs. Um, during the pandemic, I was part of a group uh, run by Emma Sinclair, um, MBE, who's like the youngest person to float company here in, in the UK. Okay. Um, she ran a, a thing during the pandemic called Founder Hour, which was brilliant. It was a great like support thing for, for founders because it can be so isolating. And like you said, family and friends genuinely don't have any idea what you're dealing mm. with and what you're going through. Um, right. So having other people who who understand it and who can help you, there are some amazing kick-ass people out there. So definitely, like Twitter is a brilliant place to hang out and connect with those people. Find your yeah, own, definitely. find your own definitely. tribe, find your own communities. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And something that that I was just thinking, Olivia, is that you help entrepreneurs but you are also an entrepreneur yourself right like this is your business you are your own boss uh you you do talks you you write articles and you help people do you often see yourself suffering the same problems as your clients it's it, uh, it can be really hard like to to give yourself a holiday basically that's what i found the hardest like nobody says to me okay take two weeks off <laughs> You know, yeah. that can be tough. It can also be tough to like switch off. Like, mm -hmm. especially now that most of my sessions are being done online, yeah. like it can be really, really tough to, to switch off. So it's not like, you know, going to the office, seeing the last client in my sort of therapy space and then coming home. It's a whole different thing now because everything is blurring a little bit more, you know. Yeah. I might be on Twitter, like, I'm, I'm trying to take a break, you know, being on Twitter too late, making connections with people, or on LinkedIn too late, or last night I got, like, a, a an inquiry on LinkedIn at, like, midnight, and I was, like, thinking, okay, I won't reply to it now, do you know? Somebody yeah, says yeah. to me, I'm interested in, in working with you, and I thought, no, it's midnight. I'm, I saw the message come in, but I, I was like, okay, let me not reply to it now. <laughs> so so you, you are able to recognize these wrong patterns yes. and wrong actions and, and correct it before, right? I, I try to. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the hardest thing for you is to, to give yourself holidays. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very for me it's the same. I was thinking also recently that I have I'm being your own boss means that you also have to decide your own in your own holiday. You do, uh, you do. And it, it might be really tricky to to do so. Exactly. Like uh, I just got a, an email from a journalist I'm working on a piece about uh, recognizing your own success coming out in in one of the big magazines and uh, she said, oh, "I've just got a follow-up question. Like are you working at the moment?" And I thought well, I'm kind of, I'm working, you know, we're doing this podcast today, which, is, yeah. you know, kind of works. So I was like, okay, yes, I can, you know, I can answer this question. But again, it, it gets me into work mode. Right. It doesn't get totally. me into, it isn't like uh, this This phrase that we, we, in the UK, we call this betwixtmas, sort of <laughs> that weird 
sort of zone between Christmas and New Year where it's sort of like a twilight zone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And I feel that like people are, some people are dormant, some people are working and don't know what what to do. Olivia, thank you so much. It was such a pleasant conversation. I've I've learned so much and I'm fascinated about the human brain, as I told you in the beginning. So it's really nice to, to hear from an expert like yourself. And uh, so I really appreciate your time. It was a one, pleasure. One last question for you. What, what are your goals? What, are, what, what do you want to achieve in uh, 2022? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think I want to do a lot more speaking. Obviously, I'm a professional speaker and I, I really want to get back out. I've done a couple of actual in-person lectures this year on a stage in a room with 200 entrepreneurship students. Wow. But I haven't really done any in-person speaking, which I love doing since obviously before the pandemic. So I've got a few uh, events booked in uh, to to speak at. So I want to do more speaking. Um, I want to start making more videos, um, which I'm not very, you know, I've sort of like slacked a little bit on videos. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to um, up my, uh, my sort of IP as well. So I want to create more of my own IP intellectual property. So in, mm-hmm. in terms of articles and um, and wow. also like up my, up my LinkedIn, I'm my biggest platform is LinkedIn. Uh, okay. So I also want to up my follower count there. Well, I've got about 11,000 at the moment, but I want to get wow. it up. That's amazing. I know that's been my biggest platform. Yeah. Okay. looks like a very fascinating uh, 2022. Thank I you. hope uh, <laughs> the pandemic doesn't abound us. <laughs> too much but uh yeah thank you so much i will link um your uh, website your twitter profile uh, and anything else you want me to link in the show notes for the listeners so that they can uh, they can read it and they can know how to reach out to you and uh thank you very much for your time it was a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much for having me this was another interview very important one about mental health so make sure to take notes here and if you want to learn more about entrepreneurship and learn from other entrepreneurs you can go to wannabe-entrepreneur.com and check out the other episodes and uh, this was another wannabe entrepreneur see you next time